Streaming Water Podcast. I'm your host, Blair Corning, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater. Uh, the podcast is co-sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council, and this is our ninth episode of the series. Uh, today, my guest is Matt Hardesty. Matt is the Chief of Hydrography and Satellite Monitoring for the Colorado De- Department of Natural Resources uh, State Engineer's Office. So Matt's going to take us through uh, hydrography, the role it plays in Colorado water rights and, and Colorado water systems, and uh, talk to us a little about that side of the of the water world. Uh, full disclosure, Matt and I overlapped a couple of years in high school at at Alamosa High School. So if we start talking about uh, the mean moose or, uh, you know, get too far into our glory days, we'll try to pull ourselves back, but uh, we'll try to keep this professional. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for being here today. Sure, glad to do it. So Matt, can you uh, tell uh, me and the listeners a little bit about yourself as far as your background and, uh, you know, how you got into this, this field? Sure. Uh, like you said, went to Alamosa High School, went to Colorado School of Mines, um, got a civil engineering degree there, uh, got my first couple jobs uh, in civil engineering, ended up in Pagosa Springs with a small local company, uh, had my son, my wife and I took a transfer to, to Alamosa with the same company. Um, and then didn't see eye to eye with the the owner and and was looking for another option that was uh, non-competing and uh, ended up at the the division of water resources in alamosa and uh you thought at the time i'd you know work there three years and get out of my non-compete clause and get back into uh, the consulting world um uh, and just ended up loving the division of water resources uh, also called the state engineer's office but uh just a really great um organization uh, really highly respected throughout the state and the water community and uh made my way through uh started as a hydrographer actually got my feet wet there literally uh making stream flow measurements um and then because i had a professional engineer license kind of moved up through the administration to uh, uh, assistant division engineer uh, in Alamosa. And then the position for the chief of the hydrography uh, came open about five years ago. So I I jumped at that. I really enjoyed the hydrography program um, and just the the science side of it and and, uh, water measurement and and data and, and websites and things like that. So now that's where I've been for about five years now. Nice. It sounds like uh, a short uh, three-year detour turned into a uh, a pathway for the rest of your career there, huh? Yeah, I've got almost, I was doing the numbers this morning. I've almost 15 years uh, at DWR. So, um, yeah, much longer than I thought, but it's it's been it's been great. No. Uh, no issues with it. Really loved every minute of it. Good. What do you uh, do when you're outside of work? What what kind of hobbies or interests do you have? Uh, I've really gotten into to music quite a bit, and it seems like with the with the COVID, uh, you know, stay at home orders. I had more time to mess around with 
music and kind of home recording. So I've been getting getting into that quite a bit. So that's kind of my favorite hobby. Of course, I got a couple teenagers, so their sports and things have been pretty high on the priority list for quite a while. So enjoy that too. Yeah. Are your teenagers uh, tasting music vastly different than yours or do you guys, can you come together on uh, a musical likes it? I, I think they've been taught pretty well. We can come together on some things and they can, they can show me what's, what's hot right now. So yeah, we, we get along. Okay. Yeah, we do some of that at my house. I'm like, you don't know Michael Jackson? Sit down. We got to go over this. This is it's important stuff. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Thanks, Matt. Now for the interesting question. Uh, if you were given $5 million to start a small museum, what kind of museum would you uh, choose to create? Mm. Yeah, that's fun. Five million bucks. I'm going to probably have to stick with the music theme because um, I think my wife would already say my music room looks like I'm already halfway there to collect <laughs> instruments but thinking maybe like a one-man band museum I like it good all right well let's uh let's get to the business at hand here which is hydrography and and uh, can you tell us what hydrography is for for those who don't aren't familiar with it what what, ex what exactly is hydrography? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Uh, I guess the the root word being hydrograph is what people think of as a kind of a, a line over time showing the amount of flow typically in in a river or water source. Um, so that's where it comes from. It, it's called kind of hydrometry, you know, hydrometrics in like Canada and Europe. So. Uh, that's kind of what we do. A, a lot of times you think of hydrographs related to, oh, storm flow runoff um, and that kind of thing. And sometimes that's, those hydrographs are a lot of times estimated based on runoff coefficients and that kind of thing. But what we focus on is actual measurement to the best of our ability of how much water uh, is flowing by at a certain location within a stream. And that's not as straightforward as um, it would seem um, compared to like flow in a pipe or something like that. Yeah, I can imagine that it's a lot of things in this business seem easy, but you, you peel back the onion and they're, they're a lot more complicated than they seem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what the division of, of water resources and the state engineer and your, your unit in particular what what role do they play in Colorado and, and in water systems in Colorado? So most people think of the Division of Water Resources, which is also known as the State Engineer's Office, as uh, in terms of water administration. That's one of our primary uh, responsibilities, statutory responsibility to administer water rights uh, within the state of Colorado. So. Uh, We've been doing that um, in some form since the inception of Colorado, basically. And uh, that's the role that has kind of generated the need for our stream flow program. And we look at the numbers, how much water is available in the stream to decide how to administer the water and see who's in priority, 
according to the prior appropriation doctrine or Colorado doctrine, as it's called, to, to determine who's in priority for water at the time and administer that system of water rights that uh, Colorado is so well known for. Yeah, can you give our, our listeners a, uh, a a quick down and dirty of that prior, what that prior appropriation system means and, and how that works? Yeah, it's basically a, a, a concept that's sometimes referred to as uh, first in time, first in right. Um, so as, as water use was developing, um, say in the, in the mining days in the 1800s, those miners might take water or need water at their mining operation that wasn't specifically on that creek or, or right in that area. Um, so they would take the water off the creek and, and ditch it over to where they needed to use it. And so as they started doing that, um, they became the first one to use that water um, for a beneficial use. That's another uh, term that's used a lot in, in water. And so as they started taking those, the, those water rights, um, the system developed over time to where we, we started keeping a log of those and each person that came on you know, got added next in line to the list with a certain amount that they were taking and putting to beneficial use. So, um, you know, that's kind of the basis of the system. I guess the other part of the system that differed a lot from um, the other type of water rights system, riparian system, is that um, in those riparian systems, usually the, the people along the, the stream only had access to the water, whereas in Colorado, we started to allow people to take it across other lands for use elsewhere. And so that, that was kind of a big um, deviation from you know, the water rights system that had developed more on the East Coast where there's more water generally. Um, as they moved West uh, and it became more arid in this type of system where we moved water off of the, the streams and also dealt with you know, who gets water in times of shortage or as the flows go up or down uh, became the need for determining that became more necessary and tracking that and, and developing that system. It's basically a property, right? Um, the use of that water is a property, right? So uh, use of fructory actually is what that terminology is actually for a use, right? That's a, a property, right? So don't try and say that. Three times fast. Yeah, I wasn't sure what you said there. I was like, I don't know if you say that on the show, Matt. <laughs> we've got we've got sensors here. Might have to bleep that one. <laughs> Sounds like if you have water, you don't have to have as many rules for uh, managing it back east. But when you don't have as much, you got to have more rules for, for how to administer it, huh? Definitely. All right. Well, can you tell us how this data is? So the stream flow data that helps administer these water rights how do you collect that stream flow data and uh, what does the whole system involve yeah that's a it's a really interesting system that's really only been in use since uh, about 1985 um, before that we had some mechanical devices that would record uh, stream level they're basically like a wind-up clock a really fancy version of a a wind-up clock uh, with a paper chart on it and uh, a pen basically with a refillable ink that would track a line 
you know, back and forth across this, this paper that matches the water level uh, using this stilling well with floating counterweight system. So you kind of picture like this pen moving across this paper, like the, the USGS, you know, earthquake measurement device or something. And, and water, water commissioners that administer water rights in the day would have to go to those sites every day and, and you know on a horseback probably in the 1800s and and that system really wasn't that different until up until uh 1985 when the state of colorado did a project to basically create what was called the satellite monitoring program and and basically the satellite monitoring um program uses some um satellite bandwidth uh, that NOAA has dedicated as part of their weather um, satellites for data transmission. And so what we were able to do at that time was set up this initial system of about 150 gauge sites that got this, these telemetry packages basically with um, a data collector, a cellular modem uh, that could send messages uh, um, on a scheduled basis to satellites to be received through the federal system, and then we could retrieve that data, do decoding and processing, and then basically change that data uh, into stream flow data. So that's kind of, that's how it gets its name, satellite monitoring, um, which is always kind of sometimes confusing to people. What does that mean exactly, satellite monitoring? Um, In the 80s, that was all there was uh you know technology now is changing so fast basically we all walk around with satellite telemetry in our pocket um in our in our smartphone so you know there there are other options uh becoming available for for that kind of real-time telemetry i guess you would say for for monitoring streams now as an organization instead of the water commissioner having to go to these gauge sites to see how much water there was to, to see who was in priority um, made us a lot more efficient. We can see, you know, we can log on to a website in the morning, see uh, how much water is at certain locations and, and set the river um, based on, on that website data from our system. So nice. Save some, uh, some time for the uh, ditch rider uh, riding around, huh? Yeah, we call it, our staff or the water commissioners, the ditch riders, we typically think of as working for the, the ditch companies themselves for the, the divert, the, the users of the water, the water rights owners or diverters. But yeah, it definitely has made us uh, more efficient as an organization. And we've, we've had to continue to, to just try and use technology to kind to, become as efficient as possible, uh, do more with less, getting additional, you know, full-time staff is, is not easy. Um, and the number of water rights and water rights administration just gets tighter and tighter um, constantly. So yeah, we really try and do as much as we can with technology. And we've kind of been on the forefront of this technology um, for a while and kind of look to as a model for a lot of other states, uh, especially in the West. Good. Yeah, it sounds like it was a kind of a revolutionary change from, from the old way to the new way based on uh, your leveraging technology there. That's good. 
Mm-hmm. I've always liked the term ditch rider, though. I think it sounds uh, it sounds cool. It's kind of like a a western. You know, I like to put that on a business card. I'm a ditch rider. You know. Clearly, there's a lot of you know the history that came from the early development of the West here, and and goes back to that. At one point, our water commissioners were were deputized um, and carried weapons. So. Um, you know that's that's kind of the history of it. So wow, that's interesting. Yeah, well, that kind of a uh, ties in. Thanks for thanks for that. And but we're at the mid show segment now, and, and it kind of ties right into the mid show segment because uh, before this, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Parshall Flume, which I'm I'm fascinated with, and Ralph Parshall, who uh, is credited, you know, this flume is named after. Uh, has always been uh, interesting to me. So I wanted to to talk a little bit about the partial flume, which is often used, you know, for wastewater plant flow measurement. We use them at our wastewater plant. They're used on, you know, for water intakes and water diversions, uh, used for agriculture. So uh, let me read something. This is from Michael Weeks, and he's a professor at uh, the history professor, but he's a lot of environmental history. He's a PhD from C. Graduated from CU, I think now he works at Utah Utah Valley University, I think is where he's at now. But uh, in in his uh, a paper I found on the Poudre River website, uh, Michael Weeks talks about, he's talking about Fort Collins, uh, just what you were saying, you know, in 18, 1874, Fort Collins needed a bunch of water for their crops, and so they took it, and Greeley didn't get any, and there was almost a big... Uh, a big brawl over that because Greeley was there first and the union colony thought they had rights to the water. It was kind of, uh, kind of settled because there was some rain that came. And so it kind of died down, but that's the, you know, I think these things you mentioned water commissioners carrying guns and I can, I can see in reading this why that was necessary because this was, uh, people's lives here and livelihoods at stake. But so anyway, after that, he says, uh, and that's when when this prior appropriation system was kind of being shaped, and people were figuring out how are we going to administer this, and how are how are these things going to work? And so they had the water rights piece, but the measurement piece. Uh, what Michael Weeks says about Ralph Parshall is: while legal statutes could clarify water rights on paper, they could not measure allocations equitably. At this, uh, and this was no small matter. Water is a slippery resource that defies quantification. In a river, water rushes downhill in torrents or backs up into calm pools. The same stream that rages in June can run dry in October or dive underground in one spot to reappear magically downstream. Moreover, rivers carry more water, more than water as they carve their way downward. Uh, natural erosive forces tear sand, silt, and minerals from the land and deposit them downstream. Determining the quantity of water carried by a stream is no easy task. Moreover, breaking water into measurable units required expertise beyond that supplied by farmers and legal expert experts. It required engineering. And then this is where it gets to Ralph Barshaw. Uh, during the first half of the 20th century, no individual contributed more to fairly and effectively distributing water to farmers than Ralph Barshaw. Born in Golden, Colorado in 1881, Barshaw spent his entire life in Northern Colorado. Over that career, uh, that career spanned nearly 50 years. Parshall worked as an irrigation engineer for Colorado Agricultural College, which is now CSU, 
and the uh, United States Department of Agriculture. Parshall's greatest contribution to efficient water management came from a device he invented with the help of graduate students at Colorado Agricultural College. Uh, eventually named after him, it was called the Parshall Flume, and it revolutionized the measuring of water in canals and ditches, making water diversions more equitable. Over the course of his career, Parshall worked out the complex math necessary for installing flumes that could measure water in ditches less than a foot wide, all the way up to canals that span 50 feet in width. Today, Parshall remains ubiquitous, or Parshall flumes remain ubiquitous in canals and ditches in Colorado and throughout the world. Parshall also engineered devices that could remove sand and silt from irrigation canals and was responsible for leading a team of scientists who measured annual snowpack in the South Platte watershed so water users could predict the quantity of water available in a given year. Additionally, Parshall researched and wrote the primary economic analysis in support of the Colorado Big Thompson Project, a massive trans-diversion mountain water diversion project that added 20% more water to the South Platte watershed. Despite his relative obscurity, Parshall left a legacy beyond measure. So that is a, a little bit on Ralph Parshall. And it, it always amazes me how these, these uh, engineers and, and people at this time were involved in so much. It's like now everyone's so specialized. But this guy did snow melt. He did uh, invented a water measuring device. He did a you know, study on the big con. It's just amazing how, how back then people could, uh, could do so much. but. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people know the partial flume, but they uh, they don't know that came from CSU and right out of Colorado. Yeah, I feel pretty inadequate now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I think we uh, we got to strive for more, Matt. <laughs> I'm motivated right now. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I could do that for you. No, that's I, a that's a good. It's a really interesting history and good to, you know, it's called. I, partial is the way his name is pronounced, but a lot of people just say partial flume, and I think that leads to a confusion too. What does that mean, partial flume? Is that like P A R T I A L flume? Is it half of a flume, or or what does that mean? So no, that's a that's a really good history. I'm glad you you pointed that out because yeah, the the flume, especially on diversions, it is like you said, it's it's everywhere. Um, it's kind of what we rely on. It, it changes the game because basically it lets you tell how much water is there just by reading a single uh, line on a staff gauge um, because it forces water through critical depth and so you can you can very quickly get a convert that level to a discharge using a table for various flume sizes it's really an important device in, in what we do in water administration. Yeah, I, I remember in school, and that's where I kind of uh, became fascinated, maybe maybe overly fascinated with this thing, but just the amount of uh, engineering, and I'm sure you know better than I, but, you know, the just the amount of engineering. It, it looks like a simple structure, kind of what we were talking about earlier, but you peel back the uh, layers of the onion, and there's, you know, viscosity, and there's there's – friction for it all this is accounted for in in the design of this this flume which now it seems like it's you know just a simple uh, simple measuring device but it's there's a lot more there to it yeah it also allows uh it, it passes sediment and things through pretty well and that's a, that's another important part of it because in natural streams 
uh, with dep deposition and erosion. We're constantly fighting that as far as being able to rate how much water is there. So if the, if the partial flume is installed properly with a, a small stealing pool above it, plenty of drop through it, you can generally pass through some sediment and, and it functions really well without a, a lot of maintenance. Well, that kind of ties into to my next question of, of you probably don't have the, the luxury of using the, you know, being able to measure a partial flume on, on the rivers and streams and, and things you monitor. So what, what type of equipment do you use to measure flows in a, in a river or stream or, or lake or reservoir or whatever you're monitoring? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So as I was saying, these these devices kind of fix um, the shape of that that canal basically, and, and create this this uh, critical depth measurement location. We don't have that a lot of times. We don't have that luxury in rivers. Um, and as you read there, you know, rivers move more than water; they move sediment. Um, trees, limbs, leaves, uh, and things change over time. So um, the interesting thing about stream flow measurement is compared to, to a pipe, uh, we, we don't actually measure the water flowing by. We measure a water level or a stage sometimes it's called. Uh, how deep is the water? But in order to equate that water level to a certain flow or discharge or CFS cubic feet per second, we have to physically make some measurement of the water um, at that at various water levels to create what we call a rating. So it's basically a best fit line this stage and this uh, pairs this this stage and this discharge and, and create a table of those and we can then apply that stage uh, that discharge to those stages as our data comes in. Well, those measurements are made by weighting sometimes. Um, so uh, a meter with a propeller on it, basically. Um, they're called a, a, a double A meter or a, a pygmy meter, a price double A or a pygmy. And basically weight across that stream, measuring the width as you go, uh, the depth in, in about 25 to 30 sections. So you break it up and you measure the, the depth there. You put this meter down into a, a certain location where the average velocity, the theoretical averages, you measure that velocity. And basically you do, for each little subsection, you do the Q equals VA equation. So the flow equals the velocity times the area. So you get a, a depth and a width, that's an area. You measure the average velocity multiply those out and add them all up across the stream uh, to get to get the flow there. So that's, you know, that's the method that's been around for a hundred years or more. Uh, as of late, we're moving more to the, the acoustic Doppler technology. It's a, we call it the boat. It's a, a plastic hold boat, um, maybe three feet long, two feet wide, kind of like a trimaran boat. Um, hole and we've got electronics mounted in it and on top of it with a transducer that basically pings out ultrasonic sound uh, that can do several things. It can measure the depth to the bottom 
and it can also measure a, velo a velocity profile directly underneath it. And we can drag that across a stream and it'll ping every half a second or second. And so we get, we could get a hundred data points across the stream with multiple velocity measurements in the profile. Um, and then add those up kind of in the same method as we did before. So we're, we're measuring, whereas before we might measure 25 points of velocity with this ADCP, uh, we're getting thousands of data points and we can even drag that back and forth four times and then average those. So, and we do that in the same amount of time or less time than, than the other method. So our, our measurement accuracy is just really improved and, and let us, we can also do that where we can't wade. Um, so we, we tend to use them off of bridges or we can set up like a pulley system, like a cable pulley system and, and stand on one side and kind of tow that boat back and forth on this pulley and make our measurements. So it's a lot safer uh, method than being in the water sometimes at high flows or being above the water on some of the cableways that we, we have used and still use. So that's kind of been a big change that's happened since I've been at the Division of Water Resources. We were starting to get the boats um, then about 15 years ago, and, and now we rely on them heavily for our measurements. So nice. probably, the, probably the biggest change. It seems like they could make a drone or something that would, uh, do you use drones at all in any of this? You know, there, there's the USGS, I believe, is doing some some research on that. Um, you know, the hard part is measuring down through air and then water and then down to the ground if you're not going to have something fit, you know, as far as the water velocity. Um, we don't use a, a drone exactly, but as far as the, the water level measurement, uh, we used to do that typically by what we'd call a stilling well on the side uh, of the the river um it's kind of like a metal pipe vertically that creates a well that well would be attached to the river uh via some inlet pipes uh, a couple different levels and then a lot of times on top of that there'd be a shelter we call it and you, a lot of people have probably seen them around driving around looking down next to a river and you see something that looks like an outhouse and, and that's really what they kind of look like an old outhouse. And what is that? Well, those, those are stream gauges typically. And of course, nowadays you'll see they have a, a funny antenna on them and a solar panel usually, but um, that's kind of been the method for a long time. So you're measuring the water level, the water level in that stilling well will match the river, but um, there are some inherent problems with that, that system. It can plug up from sediment moving in and out and, and other problems. So what we've been going to more is this this radar. And so we can mount these radars again on bridges or, or other structures. And basically that can look that can look down and measure the water level. And so basically we get a direct measurement of that water level instead of re relying on the stilling well well. And, um, and so that's that's been a technology that we've really been adopting uh, here in the last five years too it's just um easier maintenance easier construction and and really good direct uh, measurement of water surface and stage values nice so once you uh once you put in the, the hard work and and utilize the technology to collect this data 
get it to the satellite? Where where does it go from there, Matt? Where does this hydrographic data, who uses it, where is it housed, and, and, and who uses the data? Yeah, the data goes to our, our website, which our new, uh, our homepage is uh, dwr.colorado.gov. And from that page, that's at the DWR homepage, you can scroll down and there's a see current stream flow conditions, I think, box. Um, that takes people to our, calling it our new website still. Uh, we're basically running two sites right now. Uh, we're gonna deprecate, I think is the word, uh, cancel basically the old website here coming up soon. So we're, we're trying to get people to roll over to the, the new website. Um, it's got a lot of really powerful functionality with respect to, to mapping uh, the, the locations of our, our stream gauges, uh, retrieving data, um, all kinds of, kinds of neat stuff. But that's where people can get our data. As far as who uses it, you know, it, it, it was built initially for Water Rights Administration, but you know, the public use of, of the site is very high. We get a ton of recreationists that use it, uh, fishermen, boaters, you know, know our site very well in certain stations. So it just really, you know, runs the gamut. So we try to, we're trying to accommodate some of those needs, but keeping in mind that, you know, Water Rights Administration and also just data. I mean, there's a huge amount of data mining that's going on. Now companies, you know, doing different things with the with the data as far as water rights analysis, um, modeling, you know, climate change, um, just all kinds of uses of the data. So the new website we're really trying to accommodate um, people to to get that data and, and have it be very transparent. It's always been a very transparent system, and that I think that's a really valuable part of the system. Yeah, that's great. So again, uh, if people, if listeners want to want to go find the level of their nearest nearest stream, what's the uh, website address again? So I just I think this works. Just say uh, dwr.colorado.gov, and that will be our homepage. And then, which is recently redesigned, and then scroll down toward the bottom, there's a, a button that says see current stream flows. That's probably the easiest way to, to direct people to get that. And that, that pulls up an initial search of a lot of stations, and then uh, there's kind of a new filtering capability, so you can kind of look in the, the area that you're looking for, some different searches, and uh, there's also the, the map, so there's two tabs. It opens up in kind of a tabular list, but the map feature, if you click over to that tab, is really handy. You can start zooming in and out, uh, find you know, your house with an aerial photo, and, and like you said, see what stations are around. Uh, we have our own stations on there, and we also, um, via internet web services, bring in quite a few. I don't know if it's all of the USGS stations, but a lot of those stations that they operate, we also bring onto our website because, you know, we use whatever data is available for water administration. So uh, some of the sites on here are operated by us. Others are just uh, operated by others, but we display for 
for use in water rights administration. So it's a it's kind of the go-to um, kind of the go-to site for water in, in Colorado um, quantity, not quality so much because uh, we don't do a lot of you know our organization doesn't really um, maintain water quality data. It's it's not part of our not really driving a lot of our work. So um, that's kind of where this website, you know, doesn't have that kind of data. But as far as the quantity, it's it's one of the go-to spots. Nice. I can see where that would be handy for a rafter or a, a tuber or fisherman to, to check out before they make a, a trip somewhere, check out the water levels and, and see what's up before they they get there. Yeah, sometimes they call me and ask when it's going to be good to go. And I tell them, sorry, I can't help you with there. But. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been interesting. Thanks, uh, thanks for talking to us about it, talking to me and the listeners and, and uh, sharing some of this. It's interesting, the advancements in technology and accuracy and, and the changes that are, that are happening in, in this effort which seems simple to monitor uh, a water flow but when you dig into it is is not simple at all so thanks for thanks for being on and talking to us about that matt are you ready for the uh end of show quiz now i guess so let's do it all right well this quiz like i mentioned uh i know you graduated a couple years behind me in high school and uh we are both uh supporters of the mean moose the alamosa mean moose so this quiz is on high school mascots so the first question uh only one high school in the country has the mascot of the skiers which high school is this and this is multiple choice is it a breckenridge b steamboat springs c aspen or d Rocky Ford. Which one are the skiers? I know that one. That's Aspen. Oh, you are correct. You are nice. Yes, Steamboat Springs, which is Ski Country USA, uh, but their thing is the Sailors, which makes no sense to me. But I guess it's Steamboat Sailors. But yes, Aspen is the skiers. Very good. Uh, number two. Uh, what is the most popular mascot in Colorado? Is it a Eagles? B, Tigers, C, Mustangs, or D, Beat Diggers? Which is the most popular mascot? You mean popular like in the most of them? Or like yeah. Favorite? Yeah, most, uh, most high schools with that mascot. So give me the list again. All right. A, Eagles, Tigers, Mustangs, Beat Diggers. I mean, I think there's only one beat digger, so I don't think that could be it. I'm gonna have to go with uh, gonna have to go with Eagles. You are correct. There are 26 high schools with the Eagles. Uh, Tigers is next with 16, but the Eagles by far are the uh, most popular. So, all right, you got one more, and you can you can ace this thing, Matt. Uh, number three, no pressure, but uh, number three, Fort Collins High School has a vicious mascot that strikes fear into the hearts of its opponents. What is this mascot? Is it the goslings, the fawns, the lambkins, or the piglets? I know this one too. 
That is the lambkins. It is the lambkins. You have successfully uh, aced the end of show quiz. Congratulations. Good work. You know your high school mascots, man. Woohoo. <laughs> I played some high school. My son played high school hockey, so I think he's played uh, quite a few of those teams. The Sailors, that's a, definitely a unique one. The Steamboat yeah. Sailors. Yeah, that is unique. Yeah, beat, I like the beat diggers. I always like that one. Sure. All right. Well, uh, to our listeners, if you like the show, give us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend or colleague about the show. And uh, if you have any suggestions for topics or guests for future shows, you can email me at streamingwater at mail.com. And uh, once again, thanks for being on the show, Matt. It was great. And uh, I learned a lot about uh, hydrography and the state engineer's office. So thanks for bringing that to us. Yeah, glad to do it. Let's talk sooner than 30 years next time. Yeah, no joke. All right. We'll see you next time on the Streaming Water Podcast.